everyone, this is Martin Tyler, and you're listening to Everything is Football. Don't go away. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another EIF podcast. My name is Tomas Forcell, and today we have a very special podcast. We're going to be talking about Chelsea. Uh, don't often get the chance because my fellow co-host, Mark Eshwin, isn't really a big fan, but hey, we got... Nazar can sell on today from gold.com. He's been on a, a couple times before and we got Alex Goldberg. Uh, he's a co-producer, uh, co-host of uh, the Kelsey Land podcast with David Amoyle and also has recently been getting a lot of uh, fame on Twitter for his 122nd videos uh, about hmm. Chelsea. So it's a pleasure to have the two of you on guys. Uh, always happy to talk about Chelsea. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Yeah. Cheers. Yeah. Great to be on. So let's start off uh, with Nazar. Uh, Nazar, um, immediate reaction to, to Conte's, uh, I guess, eventual, uh, departure from Chelsea. How are you going to remember his time? Uh, I've seen a lot of people criticizing him, uh, a lot of people praising what he did. So where, where do you stand in that whole Conte uh, scenario? I think he very much deserves praise. You know, he had a, you know, he won two trophies in two years. He won the Premier League when nobody expected him to. You know, it sounds obvious, but it should also shouldn't be taken for granted. You know, that the quality of Chelsea squad, in my opinion, wasn't the best. And uh, they managed to pull something off amazing. You know, that, that 13 game winning run during the Premier League season was great. Uh, he managed to avert certain crises. I know he also many maybe caused certain ones as well. But you know Diego Costa's January uh, transfer attempt to move to China have undermined the season. It could have cost Chelsea a Premier League title, and costing a team a Premier League title is a massive thing, a massive blow. But no, Conte managed to manage the situation. Diego Costa continued to play, uh, not as well as he did before, but he played. They got over the line and, you know, Chelsea lifted yet another Premier League title. Um, and then the next season, he won the FA Cup uh, amid another sort of crisis, you know, a crisis of his own. You know, his future undermined his whole season, but he still was able to deliver a trophy. And I think he'll be remembered as a winner, uh, which is something that Sari has to follow now. Alex, how, how do you feel? I know, I know, I know you're famous for your Conte out at the end of your videos. <laughs> so I'm pretty curious to hear this one. Yeah, well, first of all, I can't disagree with anything that Nizar said. I, I definitely think it was night and day. I think the first season showed why Antonio Conte is such a damn good manager. He understands the game really well. He definitely, you know, a lot has been debated. Does he prefer the three-man defense? Some people said, no, he can do any style. But overall, it was very clear. He preferred the three-man defense, and he was brilliant that first season with Chelsea. And it was rather refreshing. He brought stability to the club, and most importantly, he brought a Premier League trophy. The next season was the complete opposite for me. There was instability that he did help create. Now, my biggest gripe with Conte, besides in my opinion, acting a little bit childish last season. In my opinion, in the middle of the season, he did give up in sorts, I guess. I mean, he didn't literally walk off, but he gave up in my opinion. But, but I, will give, I will give people that the Chelsea board did not exactly back him the right way. But what I had maybe more of a problem with with Antonio Conte was once the league, once the Premier League adapted to his three-man defense and they actually started using the three-man defense as well, he didn't adapt back and that's what I really had a problem with he almost became stubborn with his lineups because he wasn't getting necessarily the players he wanted and and who knows if we'll ever know the true reasons of 
what he said and why he didn't get those players. But nonetheless, I felt like he kind of just folded his arms and said, hmm, you know, and didn't want to continue on. Now, overall, as Nizar said, he was a winner. He won two trophies with Chelsea. But I want to steal this quote uh, from my host, from the host of the Calchulam podcast, David Amoyal, who knows Antonio Conte really, really well. He followed them all of his time in Italy. And David is a big fan of Antonio Conte, but he'll be the first one to admit Conte is a bit of a front runner. When things are going well, he is the best. There's no one you want more than Antonio Conte. But when things are not going well, he's not exactly the right man for the job. He's really good at taking a team from A to B, like he did with Juventus when they were struggling, and like he did with Chelsea after Mourinho's last year. But he's not exactly good at the next move. So overall, once again, I do genuinely thank him, especially from the for the Premier League title. But there definitely will be a little sour taste in my mouth because of how things ended, which, yes, he was not the only one at fault, but he was one of the people at fault. Yeah, I think, I think I'm mostly with you there, Alex, because for me, at the end of the day, it's, like you said, a lot of the instability that came about came about because Conte so publicly, you know, voiced a lot of it and was just so stubborn of certain things. I mean, the Diego Costa situation, like Nazar said, was very well handed in the sense that that first season when it seemed like he was gone, he managed to stay, got over the line. But then for that to happen over a text message over the summer, that for me is just yeah. one of those that's just un- un- unacceptable. You know, you're, you're costing Can't the happen. team money. You're losing yeah. one of the best strikers in the world and not not to mention who we actually brought in to replace him. But we'll, we, we'll get to that later. Um, and then just during the season, just constantly calling out the board. I mean, I get calling out the board once in a while. We see Josie do it a lot. Um, but the way Conte was doing it, it was like an open war, you know, the entire season. That, for me, ends up hurting the squad. And then when you combine that with the stubbornness, with the tactics, with the formation, the, the lineups, and just the in-game management for me as well was very lacking in the second season. Just, you know, Hazard, you, you knew Hazard was coming off every single game. You know, you could say that's also Hazard's fault from maybe his conditioning isn't the best. Some people say that. But at the end of the day, it was always Hazard coming off. It was always going to be predictable lineup changes uh, in game. So for me, like you said, I'm thankful for what he did, but a bit of a sour taste after you know after how it ended. But yeah. moving into the new era, we have sorry. You know, a lot of people thought it was going to happen earlier in the summer. We heard the whole 48 hours. You know, like 48 hours became a meme amongst Chelsea fans because 48 hours became a month, and eventually we got our man. Uh, so I'll jump to you, Alex. Uh, how do you feel about the Sari appointment? Do you think there's enough time for Sari Ball to be implemented with how late he joined us and some players still being on vacation? Um, how do you think he's going to handle that? And uh, how do you see us playing under Sari? Well, overall, I'm definitely excited about the appointment. And I think I'm with a lot of Chelsea fans. Be- I'm mainly excited because of the style that Sari plays. Chelsea fans do deserve a different type of football. And clearly, Sari is going to bring that. Now, if Chelsea start off slow, and I really wish Sarri was appointed way earlier because it's just really unfair to appoint a manager this late into the summer, into the transfer window, and expect immediate great results right out of the gate. So I definitely do expect some hiccups along the way. Sure, it really does help having Jorginho, who kind of was the metronome of what Sarri did at Napoli. He almost defined at least what a Napoli midfielder was about. So I think Jorginho is a great security blanket for Maurizio Sarri. But overall, if people expect Chelsea to be Napoli of last year right out of the gates, they're going to be very disappointed. It's really not fair to ask that of sorry. But I will say, even if Chelsea are slow out of the gates, which I expect them to be, maybe they'll have some 
you know, possession type games where they do look good, but maybe they're just lacking the final end product. So they're playing a little bit better than maybe the result says. Nonetheless, it's not going to be the same style of play that Chelsea fans have been used to the last four or five years. So I think that's hugely, hugely important. There's a lot of discussion on who Sari wants to bring over. We've obviously had players like Daniel Rugani, who played with Sari at Empoli. And of course, Vecino, who played with an Empoli, and Igoin, who played with Matt Napoli. These are all people that Sari apparently likes. And at this point, he only has one of them, and that's Jorginho. I do think that will help. But I think right now, it's just most important who's ever there right now in the Chelsea preseason that Sari decides who he likes. Uh, right now, he has a little bit, st- he tries to at least have as much stability as possible, which I, I, hey, it's dangerous to read into preseason games. But I kind of like how the first two preseason lineups were almost the same. And they're just, sorry, can't take much time right now to figure out all the parts of Chelsea, especially the players that aren't there. He just needs to start implementing the style and it's going to take time. It's going to take time. But overall, I'm really confident that maybe like six months from now, we'll really start to see true, true, quote unquote, sorry ball. And Nazar, just before I jump to you, do you, you know, I've seen a lot of people on Twitter, on Reddit, uh, they're saying that Chelsea's squad is actually pretty similar to Napoli's, assuming, you know, Sarri goes with that Napoli 4-3-3, which looks like at the moment, you know, some are saying Hazard could be like Insigne, and William could play that Cajon row. You got Conte is obviously Allen, but much better. Uh, Jorginho is still there. Barkley kind of replicates Hamsik. Aspilicueta kind of replicates uh, Hissage because he won't, you know, he's not going to be bombing forward as much. On the left, you got Alonso or Emerson to be Goulam. Do you think he's going to try to emulate what he did in Napoli, or do you think he's going to change it up a little? Because before Napoli, you know, he has played a diamond in the past. So some people think he's just stuck with the 4-3-3. You know, he has shown flexibility in the past. So are we going to see that at Chelsea? Yeah, 4-3-3 is going to be the main plan. I can see him starting with that, but... Obviously, you need a plan B. Um, you know, a lot of people think a plan B is just chucking a big striker on up front. But with managers uh, these days and, and managers like Sari, it's more of a case of different formations, different systems. So uh, same players, uh, you know, the diamond could be brought into play. But Chelsea have players who provide great width and and width is a strength of Chelsea. It's something that Antonio Conte tapped into. And I think that, you know, I don't think that Sarri will, uh, you know, abandon that uh, very quickly. And I think that's why 4-3-3 has started as his main formation. You know, the the switch back to a four-man defence could be tricky. I think that uh, the jury's still out on certain players, especially the wing-backs, whether they can play in that system. I don't know what Victor Moses is going to do now in this system. Is, is he going to, I guess he's going to go back and be in, uh, into being a winger. Uh, but, you know, is he going to beat people like William and Pedro to a starting spot? Pedro has been absolutely brilliant uh, so far in pre-season, um, you know, and, and I thought he was really poor towards the end of last season. Um, so I think that there's a lot of uh, big question marks. There's always winners and losers when a new manager comes in. Um, and it's going to be interesting to see who those are, and I can kind of already envisage who it's going to be, but it's great to see maybe Ross Barkley is one of the winners. You know, uh, we, we spoke to him after the after the last game, the last preseason game against Internazionale, and, uh, yeah, I think that, you know, he's really somebody who's ready to take that, that, that first-team spot, and, and the way Chelsea are going to start this season, they're going to start this season with the World Cup in mind because... The players who've been at the World Cup are barely going to have trained under under Maurizio Sarri, so it really gives a great chance for people like David Luiz, 
people like Pedro, people like Ross Barkley, who ended last season poorly or not even in the squad um, and now gives them a chance to say, I'm here and you're not going to drop me because I'm going to play really well. So um, Chelsea have a big squad. There's lots of competition places. Uh, they will sign players, but um, I think that it's interesting the sort of battle that's already going on among the squad uh, from the players who are there. And, uh, you know, talking about the squad, uh, I'm going to defer to Alex here since he's our, our Serie A expert. You've, I'm assuming you've seen a lot of Jorginho before, Alex. Um, how do you think he's going to fit in, in the Premier League? Obviously, we know Pep really wanted him, so feels feels good to get one of those guys that Pep wants, snatch him from City. Uh, and he's looked great in preseason so far. So do you think he's going to be that guy who could really transform this team? Do you think he's going to get used to the pace of the Premier League pretty quickly? Or do you think he's going to maybe struggle to adapt a little bit? No, honestly, I, I honestly, it's one of the more brilliant signings that not only any Premier League team has had so far this summer, that any team in Europe's top five leagues have had. I think he's going to transition beautifully. He's 26 years old. He's just a damn, damn good player. There's not many things he's poor at. Sure, he's not a dynamic dribbler or a great goal scorer. Some may argue he doesn't even rack up a lot of assists, but he's not a statistic type guy. He does everything so well so composed. Sometimes I wonder if he even has a heart rate. He's just not a guy who gets nervous by anything. You can pressure him. He doesn't get nervous. You can put him in any situation on the pitch. He's absolutely composed. He's very good on the pitch in terms of vocal leading. In fact, you know, Nizar may know this better, but let's just say he had been there. Jorginho had been there for three, four years at Chelsea. He probably would be a top candidate for Chelsea captain. And I think the fact that, you know, Thomas, to your question of how will he adapt, Maybe if Sarri wasn't there and he was going to just a random Premier League team, it would take him a little bit because, sure, the Premier League is different from any other league. But the fact that he's going to be playing pretty much the same system he played last year and played brilliantly, no, he's going to be amazing right from the start. I've said it. I want him playing full 90s. I want him playing every Premier League game. I want him in there as much as possible. He's obviously a beautiful passer. He, he can pick any type of a pass. And he's a damn good tackler. No, he's not in Golo Conte, but he can definitely put in a tackle. He, he's just really, really well-rounded. And I think Chelsea fans, if they haven't already, but especially once they watch him in the Premier League, they're going to fall in love with him quickly. He's going to be a quick, quick fan favorite. Yeah, and I can tell you, Alex, as someone who, obviously, I don't like Barcelona very much being a Chelsea fan, but one man I've always appreciated has been Sergio Busquets. And, mm. you know, we see a lot of people in England don't fully appreciate what Busquets does. A lot of people say, oh, this man just plays sideways passes. You know, what What he's doing is not really special. But hopefully someone like Jorginho coming into the Prem will show people that what someone like Busquets does, what someone like Jorginho does really is special because they keep the game ticking, you know, and – it's not easy to do that, to go to the ball, get the ball, keep the game moving, get the ball forward, uh, and really not lose that tempo. So for me, hopefully, this will be almost like a learning experience for some Premier League fans who are really just a bit closed-minded when it comes to these sorts of players. So hopefully, Jorginho spurs that on. Um, but let's talk about the rest of the transfer window now, guys, because I don't know about you guys. I'm getting a little pessimistic. Um, uh, do you want to jump in, Nazar, before, before we move on? Yeah, yeah. I just want. Yeah, to, um, I, I guess I'm one of the few people lucky enough to have watched him with Chelsea, having only played in uh, Australia and uh, barely anyone going to see them in France. Uh, <laughs> the, there's barely any crowd there at all. Um, but watching him live, what really amazed me about him was 
not only is he always available for the ball, but he's very vocal. You know, a guy who you know doesn't speak English particularly, uh, but his football English is fine. And uh, he was really marshalling the team around already. He's he, he's a real leader. He's he's somebody who knows the system and. And he's taken to training and uh, and match experiences uh, around Maurizio Sarri, and he's he's gone into that dressing room, slotted right in. Um, he's vocal, and and you know Chelsea already have a big Brazilian contingent, and yeah, he just he looks at home to be honest. And I love the way he moves around the pitch, uh, just just always there as a pivot for Fabregas, for Barkley, who are who are going to get forward a lot more now. And that, and that debut you were, I was earlier talking about, I remember reading a stat. I think it was in just 45 minutes that he played, it was 98 completed passes out of 101 touches. So I'd say that's a pretty impressive uh, first game. Um, but, you know, when we when we talk about the needs that the team has now and, and we look at what we've done in the window so far, obviously we have Sari, we've brought in Jorginho, that's a fantastic signing. Uh, we've kept Hazard so far, and we'll, we'll get to that a little, a little later as well as Tebow. But are we, are we being a bit too, I don't know if naive is the word here, if stubborn is the word. It's just, for me, in my opinion, I think we should be going after primarily a right winger. I think we should be going after a striker. And then only after that should we be looking at, A, you know, maybe a third midfielder, and B, some depth uh, for the back line. Um, but unfortunately, it looks like, you know, we chased Eguin for a while. That... Seems to not have worked out. He looks like he's set to go to Milan. Um, we looked. We went after Rogani for a while. That doesn't look like it's going to happen right now. It looks like it might be Kaldara, but even Kaldara looks like he might be going to Milan. Um, we went after Pulisic, apparently. Apparently, he's staying. Golovin didn't work out, went to Monaco. So, Nazar, I'll start with you. How do you, how do you feel about our window so far? Uh, not even talking about any targets that we might go after, you know, right now, but just so far what's been happening. Do you see it as a positive just because we have Sarri and Jorginho, or is it a bit of a worrying situation for Chelsea fans that all these guys we're going after seem to just, you know, be going somewhere else or staying at their club? Well, I guess I guess it can be worrying to see Chelsea miss out on players, but you know, they they Jorginho is a really top level player. I'm not saying I'm not just talking about he's a good signing. I'm saying He's a seriously top-level player. He's a player that any team would want. And then, you know, you've got these frustrating situations, but you've got to really look at why those things are happening. Um, Chelsea spent have spent loads of money, signed loads of players in previous transfer windows. They have a huge squad now. They have How many players do they have for central midfield? And how many players do they have for centre-back? They have so many players already competing for spots, and they need to get rid of those players. What happened with Golovin was that... You know, Monaco came in late in the day, and they and and they convinced him. They, you know, Chelsea had the deal sewn up. They, you know, Abramovich has a personal relationship with uh, CSK Moscow, and you know, it was a pretty easy deal to do, really. But you know, I think that Golovin chose the right club. He chose Monaco, a club that will develop him. Uh, whereas Chelsea have Barkley, they have Bakayoko, they have Drinkwater, they have Kante, they have Jorginho. It's not just about one player. It's about all these names, and then you're looking at centre-back, there's people like Kurt Zuma still in the fold, like, what's going to happen with these guys? Um, Chelsea are operating, operating late in the transfer window, always, because that's where they see the most value. That's where the club are at, really, at the moment, in terms of not wanting to pay the biggest fees for players in general. Um, so, you know, I don't think there's any surprises with how Chelsea's transfer window is going, and, um, you know, it might be a positive thing. It might be a case of 
people like Ruben Loftus-Cheek, like Kurt Zuma, like Tammy Abraham. Maybe these guys will get a chance. You know, Michi Batshuayi is still at the club. I, I know it's exciting to see new names come in, but Maurizio Sarri has spoken before as well. He's not a transfer window manager. He's a guy who likes to coach players. So he might have a plan. He might have worked something out. Um, I still think that Chelsea will sign a central midfielder and I think that the goalkeeping situation needs to be resolved and, and that's going to all happen in the next week. Um, beyond that, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm not sure Rugani's going to sign. Uh, I'm not sure Higuain's going to sign. I think he's going to go to AC Milan. And to be honest, he didn't fit Chelsea's uh, over 30 policy. Um, you know, what a slap in the face that would be to Antonio Conte, who wanted many over 30 players for them to go and sign an over 30 player as soon as he leaves. Uh, a 31-year-old on a three, four, five-year deal. Um, so I, I think that I think that that's that's the situation really. I think that Chelsea will get two players at least, um, but I don't think it's going to be a huge transfer window. And Alex, do you do you feel the same way as Nazara? I mean, would you say that maybe missing out on someone like Iguain is a positive at the end of the day, or do you? You think that because of what we have in place, someone like Iguain, despite being 30 and or 31, I think, uh, would be a useful sign, at least for the short term. Yeah, my stance on the Gonzalo Iguain thing was I was not at all as far against it as a lot of Chelsea fans were calling him fat and all that stuff. That stuff was ridiculous. And first of all, they were calling him old. He's 30 years old. Robert Lewandowski, who a lot of people want to sign, is about to turn 30 as well. So I think the narrative on that one was really skewed. And the reason why I would have been okay with Gonzalo Higuain was his relationship with Maurizio Sarri. I mean, Sarri practically views him as another son of his. I mean, that's how close they were. And sure, it was a couple of years ago that he had that prolific year at Napoli. But nonetheless, he's a clinical striker, and he would have helped someone like Eden Hazard, who, you know, has been disappointed when he makes a brilliant run and a brilliant pass. And some Chelsea players miss it. I'm not even going to call out those players, but they just miss it. So I think it definitely, <laughs> it definitely helps to have a clinical striker uh, with someone like Eden Hazard or just on the team, period. But I'm not against the fact that Gonzalo Higuain probably won't come to Chelsea because, listen, Nizar just talked about it. There's a lot of players on Chelsea right now. Sure, I definitely want to go after some players, but I think there needs to be departures before you really make a bunch of acquisitions. Right now it's striker. Still, Alvaro Morata is on the team. Michi Batshuayi is on the team. Olivier Giroud is on the team. Tammy Abraham, who I'm pretty intrigued by, is on the team. At the winger position, Eden Hazard hopefully will forever be on the team. Willian's still there. Pedro's still there. The Don, Callum Hudson-Odoi is there, and we don't want him going anywhere. Even Charlie Musanda is still there. So, although ideally myself, I want one of Pedro Willian to leave, and I definitely do want like a Leon Bailey or a Christian Pulisic, someone's got to go. And then everybody talks about the right-back position. Of course, I want Cesar Espilicueta starting at right-back. But then Zappacosta is still there. Victor Moses is still there. I mean, there's a lot of people. And, of course, the center back situation, these are already said. Kurt Zuma is still there, and we haven't even been talking about him. So there's a lot of positions where, sure, ideally us as Chelsea fans, we want players to come in, but players need to go out first. I mean, they really do in the midfield. Once again, Bakayoko Drinkwater, still there. Yeah, we don't think that they necessarily fit in a sorry system, but nonetheless, they're still there. And a great point by Nizar as well, saying, like, the World Cup is playing a huge impact on this window, and it always does every four years. I think people forget about this. The, the summer transfer window is just different after the World Cup. It always is, especially with the window closing earlier this time around. The players who don't go to the World Cup have first crack at impressing that manager, and especially a new manager. So, 
you know, you got almost have to think of some of these players like a Barkley, like a Ruben Loftus-Cheek, like a Callum Hudson-Odoi as almost new acquisitions, especially under a new attacking manager. And most of all, isn't our number one priority as Chelsea fans, I would assume 99% of us, that Eden Hazard stays and gets to play under Maurizio Sarri. That almost could be a new acquisition. Sure, he's been brilliant so far in his Chelsea career in the Premier League, but he could be even, he could be almost double that under Maurizio Sarri. So I honestly think, it's boring, it's not sexy to fans, it's boring to say, well, they're good players on the team. And I do want acquisitions, but there have to be departures first. And until then, Sarri should just take what he has and and put his style on it, because I think his style on some of the current players could be awfully intriguing. Yeah, and I was actually, I like that you guys both brought up departures. Uh, I was going to move on to specific players we should try to sign, but on the note of departures, all right, so I guess I'll get started with this one. Um, in my opinion, first of all, there's one man that should be leaving before any other man, and I think Nazar knows who's coming, uh, <laughs> if he knows me, that, that man's Bakayoko. Um you know, for me, I don't know if you've seen this before, Alex, but I'm, you know, you could say I have a Bakayoko agenda, even though I hate that. <laughs> I, hate that I hate that term. But if if you are to say I have an agenda against someone, anyone in football, it is Bakayoko. Yep. Um, I, I said this back in November, okay, of 2017. I don't know if you've seen this. It's Bakayoko can't pass, can't shoot, can't finish, react in slow motion, is careless with the ball, and doesn't add half of what Conte does defensively. Yet somehow some people will tell you he's a terrific player. Um, you know, before he got there, uh, Nazar and I uh, talked on the podcast. I was not, not very enthusiastic about the signing, and the rest is history. Yet some people, you know, some people will still say that <laughs> that Bakayoko will come good, which for me is one of the biggest mysteries in football. But now that my <laughs> Bakayoko rant is over, which I had to get out of the way. Um, you know, you talk about all these players we have, and obviously it's good, it's good to have depth, but at the same time, you know, it seems like we do have too many players. That, uh, and, uh, you know, the striker situation, which of the, assuming we don't get a striker, and which of those three strikers are we going to have to get rid of? Might it have to be two? Because, you know, at least from my perspective, I don't think Michi is going to be happy sitting um, behind whoever starts. Uh, and then obviously right wing, we've seen all these supposed offers for Willian. Um, a lot of money for a guy who's not the youngest, not the most consistent, even though I do rate Willian. Uh, and I see a lot of Chelsea fans don't. I still think he's a good player. But for that kind of money, you know, we should be getting rid of him. Uh, who, you know, sort of you, Nazar, who do you think we should be getting rid of this summer? Um, and if not this summer, maybe next year, who should we... Who should we look at as a guy who maybe his time at Chelsea is coming to an end right now? Yeah, I think that Chelsea could think about uh, offloading some central midfielders. Timway Bakayoko uh, is an obvious candidate. He's really struggled. You know, the game against Watford where he was sent off uh, was one of the worst performances I can remember in, in my time covering Chelsea or even watching Premier League football. And then he came on against Leicester. He played against Leicester in the FA Cup quarterfinal and again he was subbed off at half time because he was at risk of being sent off and uh, now to me that signifies that maybe you know it's kind of sad but he, his he, there's something gone wrong in not only his you know football and abilities technical game but mentally uh, you know he's struggling to cope with the weight of the Chelsea shirt uh, so young in his career and and at 40 million as well there's a lot of pressure on that guy um for me though i think he's really hard to sell because who comes in and buys him for a fee that Chelsea are happy with? Who pays the wages 
that he's happy with. Um, I can't see him going. I think that there's not going to be a market for him. He almost needs to rehabilitate himself to leave. Now, Danny Drinkwater, on the other hand, I think he'd be easier to sell because you can kind of sympathise with the guy. He didn't get enough chances. He didn't play many games. He didn't get a run of games. Uh, maybe he didn't fit the system very well at Chelsea. So, um, for, to me, I think that a lot of clubs would be interested in Danny Drinkwater and he's a good age to, to kind of move to another club. But the kind of problem with Drinkwater is, again, like who's going to pay £35 million for him? Uh, nobody uh, is the answer to that question. So, uh, Chelsea are in a weak position in terms of selling uh, a midfielder, but they need to do it because they have too many midfielders. They have Ross Barkley, you know, uh, all competing for a spot. Um, and then in central defence as well, they kind of need to sell someone. Uh, Kurt Zuma would be a big candidate, but who's going to pay the fee? Uh, it's going to be a big fee for Kurt Zuma. Chelsea do value him highly. He is a good defender uh, and he is on big wages. So, um, again, it's difficult to sell Zuma. Gary Cahill might be another one they look to sell. Uh, and, and then if you're looking at the rest of the team, I think Chelsea have missed their chance to sell Willian. I think Barcelona were the ones and uh, they priced him out of the market. Barcelona did really want him and uh, it turned out that uh, they just couldn't really afford him. It's too much. Uh, Chelsea asked for a lot of money for him and they really tried to leverage as much money out of Barcelona as they could and they grew disinterested and signed Malcolm. Uh, so I think that Willian won't be sold and I think that Chelsea will kind of stick with the same attack they had last season. Uh, so I think, you know, that that's going to be an issue. And then in goal is obviously the Courtois situation. Um, I think that he wants to go to Real Madrid. Real Madrid want him. It's just a case of, uh, you know, whether Chelsea get that replacement in in time. And uh, time's running out. It's Thursday, transfer deadline day. And uh, that's when it will happen. Yeah, Alex, how, how do you feel about the departures as well? Do you, do you mostly agree with Nazar here? Yeah, mostly. Um, you know, Bakayoko... It's all about, first of all, I think he was just overrated. Uh, I think Monaco players a couple of years ago, and maybe even still now, there was such a hot price to them, not price, but appeal to them, because a lot of them did turn out to be really damn good players, and it's a great player place for players to develop. I think with Bakayoko, maybe people bought the drank the Kool-Aid a little too much. To me, Bakayoko was not as ever as good as he looked in that last season for Monaco. I think he was way more one-dimensional, and I, I definitely don't think he belongs in a sorry system. He looks really, really clumsy. He, he just does. Uh, drink water, I totally agree with Nazar. It's not even really his fault. I just don't think he belongs here. It's just totally not his fault. It's not indicative of him being a terrible player. It's just, eh, to, you know... I feel bad even using the term dead weight because he probably deserves better than that. But at least on this constituted Chelsea team, he is dead weight. With Willian, uh, I mean, man, Willian fans are probably standing outside of my house right now because <laughs> they think that I just think this guy's awful. I mean, I, I honestly think people just listen to what they want to hear. I've always said, I've always said, ever since Sarri was even rumored to come to Chelsea, that Willian is one of the top players who could benefit from Maurizio Sarri. I think the style of Willian as a player actually profiles quite well in a Maurizio Sarri system. However, there was two reasons why I kind of wanted Willian gone. I wanted Willian gone, first of all, because he's about to turn 30. And even if he turns a little bit better in a Maurizio Sarri system, I still think there's a reason. There's not that high of a ceiling for Willian at this point. Maybe he can have a little more end product. Maybe he can pad his stats a little bit more. 
but this guy's not going to turn into a top 10 winger. And I think, as we've talked about, Chelsea priced him so highly, and he has a lot more value. He could fetch a lot more than a Pedro. So that's the, that's the first reason why I want William gone, because he can still get something in return. The other reason is, I think William's been unprofessional lately. Sure, w- w- let's not debate what's happening with this visa and what's happening with the passport issues, because it could turn out to be 100% true, and he really can't come back. That's fine. I still would rather him not take pictures at restaurants when it's up for debate if he's really you know supposed to come back or not but whatever let's leave that alone let's pretend i'm totally wrong and unjust about blaming him for that what about the fa cup photo what about the fa cup photo what about last year storming off when he was subbed out there were real there were real signs of a lack of professionalism and some people could say well alex you didn't like antonio conte so how could you possibly blame william for covering up antonio conte and fa cup photo i am not a chelsea player I am a meaningless Chelsea fan. There's a higher standard as a player when you are a professional getting paid all of that money to do to play a sport. I it's not at all the same. And by the way, if I was a player, I can guarantee you I would not have covered up Antonio Conte in that photo. When are we going to get him an apology from Willian on that? I want him out because of a couple reasons, and the professionalism is not the first reason. It's the second reason. I mainly want him out because he's actually a good player. And he could get something back in return. So I needed to clear the air there with Willian, or not with Willian, but about Willian. Uh, I do think he's a good player. But guess what? It's okay to be loyal to people you like. So Willian fans, I do hope he plays well this year. I will never root against the player wearing the Chelsea badge. Same goes with Gary Cahill. Good transition. I'd like Cahill gone. But that's just mainly because I don't think he has a lot to offer anymore. And I think they're obviously overstacked at center back. In terms of the fullbacks, in terms of departures, and then I'll wrap this up because I can't say anything more that needs our already didn't say about the goalkeeper situation. Obviously, it needs to be Courtois. There needs to be a replacement quickly. Fullback-wise, I just it probably is what it is right now. It's probably Emerson and Alonzo at left back, and it's probably Aspi, Zappacosta, and Moses at right back. Maybe Moses is even considered a winger. I'd like them to improve on that next year, especially left back if Emerson doesn't pan out. But uh, I agree. Bakayoko and Drinkwater, at least one needs to go. And uh, at this point, I'm totally pessimistic about a winger going. So I would say get rid of a center mid. And sure, figure out the striker situation. But right now, I mean, might as well just keep the strikers and have either Giroud or Abraham leave. Yeah, and I I like that he brought up that uh, unprofessionalism point, Alex, about William. Because, you know, in the past, we've seen... A lot of people say that, oh, it, it doesn't matter too much that he did that in uh, regards to willing or, or what some players do off the field sometimes. But, you know, we saw Sesk recently. I don't know if you guys saw it. I don't know if you guys are also blocked on Twitter by Sesk. Uh, I oh, actually I found am. out. Yep. Via, yeah, okay, yeah. Welcome to the club. Uh, I found out via a picture that someone sent me uh, that he had liked or whatever it was. I think liked a post about Conte being gone. And then only after that had done the rounds, he then commented or replied, I think it was an hour later, saying, oh, sorry, it was an accident. Yeah, his All finger right, slipped. Yeah no, yeah. yeah, no, totally, Sask. You, uh, you're, the man's such a Twitter expert. I mean, he's out there blocking everyone. I'm supposed to believe you all of a sudden accidentally liked the post. Yeah. Um, so, you know, in regards to the, this lack of professionalism, a lot of people say it doesn't matter too much. For me, it does, because we've seen it in the past with, with Jose's last stint with us before he was sacked. Um you know, the, the lack of professionalism that we sometimes see from Chelsea players, not all of them, but certain players. And when you have that attitude amongst the squad, you know, it, it's not OK. You can't just be all happy when things are going well and, and you know, respect the manager. And all of a sudden, when it starts going downhill, 
lose all of that respect for the manager, you know, not play as hard as you can and, uh, you know, do some of the stuff that we've seen some of these players do. So for me, you know, I, I'm with you on that. I'm really not a fan of when players act like that. And I, I think that it should be noted that the, the club should take action. And unfortunately, with the with the Williams situation, nothing's going to happen because, you know, the board wasn't wasn't very fond of him at the end. But, you know, hopefully we we don't see that under Sari. And uh, I don't think we will. Um, but. Yeah, you, you know, we never know with Chelsea. But uh, yeah, Thomas, can forward. I Thomas, can I say yeah, one quick thing? Um, and, yeah, and maybe people from other countries will hate me for saying this, but I want to make a <laughs> parallel to another sport um, here in America, the NFL, which definitely has its faults. So don't think that I'm thinking the NFL is this amazing league. I actually think it's quite corrupt. But if you do what William did in the NFL, you lose pay, you get suspended. And you just don't play. It doesn't matter who you are. And I'm speaking of the FA Cup photo. You do something like that, you miss at least a couple games without pay. And honestly, I think that's just. I, I really do think that's just. Now, it's a different sport. It, it's, a, it's a different country. I get all of that. I'm just saying, honestly, that is, oh, it's just, it's not what you do. And, and one more thing. For anybody who's saying, well, Eden Hazard, uh, you know, he talks about Real Madrid. And Nizar, I'd actually love to get your opinion on this. Eden Hazard doesn't go out of his way to talk about Real Madrid. He is constantly asked about Real Madrid. And if anybody has ever listened to Eden Hazard speak, he is nothing but honest. He never means disrespect by it. He's always said from the beginning that he grew up liking Real Madrid. He has never said really anything more. Sure, he said the, I've had six wonderful years. That was emotion after the World Cup. But he has never, he has never done anything like cover up his manager in a FA Cup photo for the public to see. So don't you dare compare those things. Eden Hazard is a loyal, loyal Chelsea player. Uh, Nazar, how, how, how do you feel about that whole situation with Willian and uh, I guess what was mentioned about Hazard? Yeah, well, when we compare like loyalty in football, Eden Hazard, Willian, you know, Courtois, there's lots of big questions within the Chelsea dressing room, but... I find the loyalty thing, you know, difficult to understand because loyalty doesn't really work in each different way, you know. Um, how can a manager be loyal, you know, when, when people turn on him straight away at a club or players when they have poor form and fans turn on them? I think the players really do hear those criticisms. And, you know, if we live in a world where, you know, fans don't get behind the team, they don't stick by players during bad times and hope they come through uh, and just expect an immediate sale and they sign someone else. I think that, you know, players are right to not hold, you know, so much love for a club. I think that with Hazard, he's very comfortable in London. I also think William's very comfortable in London as well. But, um, you know, Hazard really loves the life here. He really loves, uh, you know, bringing up his family in, in this city uh, and all that kind of thing. So, I think that's where a lot of his loyalties come from. Um, I think that Chelsea still needs to prove they can match his ambitions. He's quite clearly the best player at Chelsea. And I always think that, you know, Chelsea are always fighting to convince him that they are going to win the Premier League, they are going to uh, achieve everything. And that's been the battle. But uh, Hazard has never really pushed the move. And I've always thought that was really great of him. Uh, of course, you get these comments in the media, you get the... Real Madrid question thrown at these guys, Barcelona question, Man United in William's case, uh, and 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 they have to try and not upset people. Um, I, I think that I don't think I think William and Conte with the emoji thing. I think obviously that that was 
you know, that was insensitive completely. I think, you know, people at Chelsea, a lot of fans at least, they have a great, great respect for Conte. You know, maybe within the dressing room, within the club, uh, Conte's stock was really low at the time, but uh, it showed a bit of a disconnect with the fans, of course, because, uh, you know, lots of fans uh, will always respect Conte, will always respect what he did. You know, they really like him. He's a likeable character when he... When you see him on TV, when you watch him on the touchline, when you hear him in interviews, he, he comes across as likeable. So for William to do that, it was really, really poor. And, you know, I mean, I think I think he should have come out when it happened and apologised. I think now it's probably too late. If he, if he apologised, you know, who cares? Uh, Chelsea have moved on now. Uh, but I think that he needs to be careful. I think that a lot of players need to be careful. And, and social media, it's so easy to... To you know, just put your foot in it. We saw with Charlie Sonder, we saw with Kennedy last season um, that these guys are young and they make silly mistakes. And and I I, I think that William has been loyal. I think he deserves great respect for his Chelsea career. But yeah, that was really bad form, uh, really bad form. Um, and uh, you know, obviously Hazard would never have done that. But you can't always compare you know one individual to the next and and what makes an individual great makes another one you know it's it's it wouldn't motivate them so well so williams obviously a very opinionated very colorful character and um and you know that that's where it spilled out a little bit um and at least it was interesting i guess but yeah for me i think that i think that looking at loyalty in football uh, it, it can be a dangerous thing because everyone can disappoint you yeah, and I, you know, just as a Chelsea fan, having seen Brazil this summer, obviously rooting for my home country, just watching Willing on the pitch is just so frustrating because I'm sure you guys feel the same way. This guy will, you know, be completely, not average, he's obviously a good player, but, you know, he's not brilliant for most of the season. And then he'll just have one month every season where he just suddenly becomes world class and then it's back to the same Willian. And, uh, you know, this summer at the World Cup, at least for me, was the same where he was Pretty, pretty terrible uh, for Brazil, uh, except for one half against Mexico. I think you were at the game, Nazar, where he was just unbelievable. The man played some incredible football, and you you just stopped thinking, you know, why can't this guy do this every single week? Or at least not even every week, just, you know, more than a month every season. But, you know, uh, it's unfortunate that we didn't sell him for the kind of money that Barca seems to have offered, but I'm, you know, there are worse players to keep at the club. But, uh, you know, just... Having touched on Hazard, uh, I just want to get this from you guys really quickly. You know, a lot of people often point to the fact that Hazard's stats aren't that great. Uh, you know, I saw a so-called Chelsea fan uh, on Twitter, I think it was earlier this week, made a thread about Hazard and, and different stats. And uh, honestly, one of the most pathetic threads I've ever seen. I'm not even going to dignify yep. it with, uh, you know, mentioning yep. the guy's at right here uh, yep. or, or even refute the points because it doesn't even deserve that. Um I'll jump to you first, Alex. Do you think, you know, obviously stats aren't everything, and I think Hazard is one of the best examples of that. Um, the only thing I have criticized him for when it comes to stats, you could say, has been the goal scoring. And, you know, I'd just like to make it clear. I think a lot of times he hasn't been at fault because at the end of the day, the club, you know, the managers he's had haven't really played the most expansive football, and we're going to finally see that under Sarri. But there's also this sort of, you know, it's almost like Hazard's so humble off the pitch that you almost see it on the pitch where he just – he prefers to pass the ball sometimes or, or do that extra dribble and maybe set up a teammate than go for goal when really his finishing is incredible. You know, yeah. For me, he's one of the best finishers in football. He, it's just that we don't see it often enough. So do you think under Sarri, 
is this going to maybe be that season that we see Hazard maybe hit? Maybe not 30. Maybe that might be a stretch. But, you know, maybe 25 goals and, and become more of a goal scorer that, you know, I think he's capable of becoming that. Yeah, uh, totally agree. And and by the way, the person who made that thread, I'm not going to say their name either. You can't call yourself a Chelsea fan and make a thread like that. But let's move on to Eden Hazard. I totally agree with you. If there's any fault of Eden Hazard, it's that he's too unselfish. And he's even admitted as much, pretty much. He's said that I really enjoy passing just as much as shooting. And he knows he has addressed it so many times. I think Cesc Fabregas, and this is the thing, is half the time I love Cesc because I think he's a really good mentor. And I know he's asked for... And an Azard to be have more of a killer instinct. And I think all the greats that Azard spends time around, Thierry Henry, these people tell him to shoot more because, as you said, Thomas, he's a damn good shooter. In his Chelsea career, we've seen him score in almost every way. We've seen him have long range left footed shots, long range right footed shots, amazing curling shots with his right foot, even a couple tap ins and headers. I mean, he can score and he's obviously a great penalty taker. And I think. I do think the goals will go up with Maurizio Sarri because of sheer possession. Sometimes it was so frustrating when Jose Mourinho or Antonio Conte were the managers because Chelsea would really not have a lot of possession, especially against some of the better teams. And then Eden Hazard would go on a majestic and absolutely jaw-dropping run. And at the end of that run, he would either maybe do one move too many, as you said, or he'd make a brilliant pass but maybe that striker or other winger, <clears throat> uh, anyway, uh, would miss that shot. And it was so frustrating because you know he has it in his bag to just actually do the whole thing himself. But it is his nature. He is a very humble guy off the pitch. And I think sometimes that seeps onto him on the pitch. But I definitely think just the, with more possession that Chelsea will have under Maurizio Sarri and probably with Sarri's orders and instructions, you'll see Azard get a little bit more of an eye for goal. He's never had 20 Premier League goals in a season. I do think that he'll flirt with that number in the Premier League. And certainly if you count all competitions, I think he'll go over that. And just overall, just to address the Eden Azard being judged by statistics conversation, it's utter garbage. It's utter garbage. It's people who don't watch the game. It's people who simply just go on a, a website that I love, but a website like whoscored.com and say, oh, Azar didn't score. He, he's terrible. He, he's awful. And Jordan um, Shakiri scored today. Shakiri's better. I mean, this is so, so simplistic. If you look at any of the stats beyond goals and assists, percentages like passing percentage, shooting percentage, dribbles completed. So someone could say, oh, he's a dribble merchant. Merchant, But how about dribble efficiency? He's an efficient dribbler, which is huge. And people who don't like him will say, oh, he's a dribble merchant. No, no, no. Look at the next stat. Look at how many of them he actually completes. Look at the percentage. This guy is unbelievable. Key passes. His chances created. He's unbelievable all across the board. I want to bring up somebody that also didn't put up great stats that is known as one of the best wingers of the last 10 years. Ian Robin. Ian Robin has never put up an insane amount of statistics or goals, but he is not, maybe not now, but he in his prime, it was one of the best players. So it really, it falls on deaf ears when you talk about Ed and Azard and goals scored. I do think it'll go up this year, but I'm sure there'll be worse players that score more goals and it would still be absolutely wrong to then say Azard's worse than them because he didn't score as much. It's so ridiculous. Yeah, I, I need yeah. to go in on this because I love talking about Eden Hazard. Um, and yeah, I think I agree with I agree with most of what you guys are saying uh, completely. I still think that I don't. I still doubt though that Hazard will get into huge numbers ever in a season. I think 
that's not really his game. I think he's almost misunderstood. It's, it's people who compare him with Lionel Messi, with Cristiano Ronaldo, with Mohamed Salah. And I, I, yeah, like I think that I agree there was a point that it's not his identity. That's not his identity as a footballer. Um, I, I look at, you know, there's a game that really, really shows Hazard for what he is at his best for me. And, uh, and I think it's that game against Brazil uh, with Belgium. Uh, you know, yep. Belgium's biggest game, Belgium's biggest World Cup game in I don't know how long. In it's almost in ever really. Uh, yep. And and he stepped up. Uh, the way he ended ended that game, the way he managed it, the way he carried the ball, it's it's quite leadership. It's it's something that you don't really measure by stats. It's something you watch and you you can really see the impact on his team. The team were panicking. Brazil were hammering down the door. Brazil have a reputation of being the Real Madrid of international football. Uh, Belgium had no right to beat Real Madrid, you know, in terms of history. Um, but Hazard, you know, he stepped up to that. He didn't give a didn't give a flying sh- and uh, he absolutely carried this team through that game in the end. I mean, De Bruyne and Lukaku had fantastic games, but in the end, it was somebody like Eden Hazard who really pulled them over that line and that is a team player we're talking about this guy is not going to be the stat merchant he's not going to be a goal merchant he's going to get goals he's going to contribute um but he's not going to be the main man um and you're going to have to get goals from elsewhere on the pitch as well it's that's that's where pedro comes in i think he could have a good season under sari i think that he's the kind of player he, that sari likes he likes players with good movement clever i think pedro He's possibly uh, a better finisher in front of goal, you know, uh, you know, in close situations than Hazard, and I think his movement's very good. So, I think he could rack up a big, big number of goals similar to Hazard. I think that Morata unlocking him is going to be key for Chelsea, uh, and Hazard's just a piece in the puzzle. He's a team player. Um, he's a leader. He's uh, a wonderful player to watch, and I think that Chelsea are lucky to have him. But uh, don't look to him for 30, 40 goals because yeah, you're going to be dreaming. And even under Sarri, I don't think it's going to happen. That's that's the that's the part where maybe I differ from you guys in that I don't have that belief. And, and me and Liam Toomey from ESPN were debating it in Nice, uh, and he, he disagreed with me a little bit on that. He thinks he's going to get more goals. But for me, I think that Hazard's already great, and he deserves appreciation right now for what he's done because he's... He's he's already done enough. He's already he's already done enough, and uh, yeah, uh, that that's because he contributes so much. And it's not just about goals. Football is a way more complicated game. You just need one goal after all to win a match. <laughs> yeah. Well, Nizar, let me just ask you a quick question. I mean, I definitely agree. He'll never hit Ronaldo Messi levels in goals, but he did have 16 goals uh, a few seasons. I think it was the Premier League winning season for Mourinho, or maybe it was two seasons ago. Um, he also, for Lille, and I know it's a totally different league, he had one season of 20 goals and 16 assists in league. I mean, that is that is a sexy stat line right there. Do you think he could at least get 18, 19 goals? See, honestly, the, the stat line I want out of Eden Hazard is like 14 and 10, 15 and 10. I want what they would call in the NBA a double-double, and I think he definitely <laughs> could do double digits with both goals and assists. But maybe you're right about the goals. Yeah, I agree. I agree with that. I think that's what I think that's a dream scenario. I think that's what he delivers. That's when he gets the PFA Player of the Year. He deserves to be up there for awards because, you know, with the Ballon d'Or, it's becoming ridiculous that it's just whoever's you know the top scorer in Europe. I think you need to look a little bit deeper with it, really with it. And I think that 
you know, team contributions and uh, and needs to be looked at a little bit more. Of course, Messi and Ronaldo have deserved their awards, but I think there is a bit of an underrating of players like Hazard, um, and you know, it's still a great achievement. I think Morata is the one that Chelsea need to be top scorer this season. Um, I think he really needs to step up and and get to. 25 goals, it would make a huge difference to Chelsea. But, yeah, I think double bubble for Hazard, for sure. Yeah, and, uh, you know, touch touch on Hazard just before we move on. You mentioned Morata. I want to talk about him a little bit. But, you know, at least the way I see it, you said this, you mentioned this a little bit, Alex, the fact that a lot of the stats where he leads, people just like to overlook, you know, and so they always point to goals and assists, and then they're – you know, they fail to look at, oh, dribbles and chances created and and this and that. And then people will say – Oh, but why? Why do dribbles matter? Why do? Why do? Why does it matter if he's fouled more than any other player? And right. I hear that argument made about Neymar a lot, who I've always defended. And you know, I say, you know, when you're when you're getting fouls for your team, you're getting set pieces. That's a dangerous situation already. We saw how many set piece goals were scored in the World Cup, for instance. So that's one stat. You know, yeah. you look dribbles being made. That that means he's beating an opponent, and maybe creating space for his team moving forward. And you know, people just like to overlook that. And and just to end the Eden Hazard. Uh, segment here i just like to throw out a stat i saw today on twitter and it's most chances created in the top five european leagues since 2006 we have mesorozo number one we have dimitri payet number two that's an odd odd name to be there but anyway fabregas at number three david silva number four messi at number five and you have eden hazard number six eden hazard who by the way was 15 in 2006 so <laughs> You know, yeah, that, that, there's a stat for everyone saying, you know, Hazard's numbers don't really look too good. So I, I think that's all that has to be said, really, about him. Yeah, he's, well, so, he's absolutely. You know, I'm glad you said that. By the way, is there any other player in the Premier League who is double and triple team more? No, not at all. And sure, that's also something that doesn't show up in the stat sheet, because what happens when two, three defenders go to one player? It creates so much space for the other players. As you said, what happens when Eden Hazard draws a foul right outside the box? It creates an amazing set-piece opportunity. What happens when Eden Hazard draws a yellow card on this player and then another yellow card on the next player? It makes them play more cautiously. So he does so many things that don't end up in the stat sheet. Yeah, no, that's that's yeah. spot on. And Oh, yeah, go ahead, Nizar. Uh, yeah, maybe the fact that he is such a star means that people do double up on him. They do target him so much because uh, for most of the season, he's often, by some distance, Chelsea star player. Um, they had Diego Costa before who could sometimes match him for quality. Uh, Willian can match him for quality on occasions, but as you guys have touched upon, it doesn't happen enough. So I think the teams naturally look at him and they look to stop him. And usually uh, that, that's the main focus of defences is to stop Hazard rather than anyone else because, uh, you know, if Willian's not in form, you can kind of afford to focus a lot of effort on Hazard. And, uh, yeah, especially last season, I don't think Chelsea uh, Chelsea received much more than a Hazard team, especially at the end. And it proved with the FA Cup win that they were that a Hazard team last season. Yeah, and... Uh... You know, for me, stats, just before we move on, just I think Ronaldo and Messi, as blessed as we are to have been able to watch and live during this time, have almost ruined football in a way. I've, I've talked to this, about this with Mark before, um, yeah, podcast co-host. And, you know, the numbers they put up are just so absurd and just so out of this world that, that we've been spoiled and expect, you know, players to go out and score 40, 50 goals just because they're brilliant on the ball or just because, you know, they're incredibly gifted. And it's just... It's just not something that's normal. These guys have just really spoiled us. If you look at Kakao when he won the Ballon d'Or in, was it 2007, 2008? 
they weren't great numbers. You know, there were there were Eden Hazard-like numbers, you, you could say. But everybody talks about how brilliant Kakao was back in the day, which he was. But we've now had this decade of Ronaldo and Messi that's really just, you know, we, we've lost perspective yeah. on what some great players do because we expect everyone to hit those numbers. And, you know, truth is, nobody's going to be hitting those numbers except maybe... Um, you know the likes of Neymar and Mbappe maybe in the future, but even then, are they really? Nobody knows. So, you know, talking about numbers now, I just I, I want to touch on Morata. Um, you know, Nazar, we talked about this when when Morata and Lukaku were being linked to the club. I said I wanted neither one of those. Uh, we got Morata. Um, you know, a lot of people say that you know he's going to come good and he's going to start scoring a lot of goals. This is a man who has hit 20 once. That's that's his highest goal-scoring season ever was 20. It was actually the season before he came here. And mostly as a sub, albeit against, you know, not great opposition. Um, before that, he, he, he's never really been much of a goal-scorer. So when, when people all of a sudden say that they think that, that Morata is going to come good and score 25, 30 goals for Chelsea, I personally doubt that. Um, for me, his, the confidence issues are massive. Um, so... That's something that he's going to get to have to get over. He doesn't seem like he's fully committed to Chelsea. It's almost like he, he's trying to go to Milan or something or go to Italy. And at the end of the day, when you look at what he cost his last season, I don't like to pin just one player because obviously a lot of players were at fault for last season. Some of the misses he had in, in some of the games against Arsenal, the, the most notable one for me is Arsenal because Arsenal tied it in the what was the 92nd minute and the camera doesn't even... The camera pans to Morata all of a sudden, and he's through and going. He misses, I think it was his third breakaway in that game, um, and it just didn't happen for him last season. So I'll, I'll jump to you first, Alex, in, in regards to how you feel about Morata, and I guess maybe talk about Michi a little bit. Um, can he come good, or you know, is it time to move? And by the way, speaking of Morata, congratulations. Just had a, a pair of twin babies, so congratulations to him and his, and his girlfriend. Yes, I echo that. Um... Yeah, Alvaro Morata, he's kind of a polarizing subject these days for Chelsea fans. Boy, have I had a up-and-down <laughs> feeling towards Alvaro Morata, and not at all as a person. I, I think quite highly of him as a person, from what I know. But when he arrived at Chelsea, we were all really excited because we felt like we were kind of unlocking maybe a potential superstar striker. Maybe not superstar, but at least a star striker who understandably so, never really fully made it at a Juventus or Real Madrid just because of who they already had there. But he always looked pretty good when he did get to play. And then obviously he started really damn well for Chelsea. But the thing with a striker is when when anything is going wrong, even the slightest little thing to change their confidence, lower their confidence, they miss a couple one-on-ones, or as Alvaro Morantes hinted, they're a little bit injured. Oh, they can look so much worse than maybe they actually are. And obviously things really did snowball. And I think Marazza really felt the pressure from just everybody surrounding Chelsea, the fans, maybe some media, who knows. But the first season for a striker can be really tough. Now, I don't want people to keep referencing Drogba because I think saying, well, Drogba didn't do great in his first season. Then look what happened. I think that's I understand what they're saying. And they're almost trying to defend Marazza. But in a way, that's almost just putting more pressure on Marazza. Morata is Alvaro Morata. He's not Didier Drogba. Uh, I absolutely do think he could come good under Maurizio Sarri. I've said that ever since Sarri was rumored to Chelsea. My thing with Alvaro Morata is I'm good with him if he wants to be here. If he wants to be here, then absolutely, let's do it. Let's, you know, I think he could really be good. 
if his heart really is apparently in Italy, I'm not going to blame him for it. He's been here one year, and maybe he figures he doesn't love life here or just prefer he would prefer to go back to Italy. But um, if he's 100% in, let's do it. If he's 99% in, I'd probably rather him go back to Italy. Um, I don't think he's disrespecting the club by wanting to go back to Italy. I have nothing against it. I'm, I'm kind of just looking at this very cut and dry. I think your striker definitely needs to be focused. Uh, or else they don't make those one-on-one opportunities with the keeper. But if he's 100% in and, and Sari likes him and he likes the Sari system and he's ready to prove himself in year two at Stamford Bridge, let's do it. And uh, then in terms of Michi Betchwai, I mean, I think I agree with Nizar. I don't know if Michi really wants to be back up again, but, oh, man, I think Michi could be great under Maurizio Sari. I, I think it's becoming really repetitive. We're all saying, like, any offensive player could be great under Sari, <laughs> and it's probably being overused. Oh, this guy could be great under Sari. This guy could be great under Sari. <laughs> Just thinking that every attacking player could be great under Sari. But with that said, I really do think Michi Batshuayi could be great under Sari. I think he profiles well as a forward, as a striker under Sari. I think his relationship with Adam Nazard could play a role. I think that would only create more chemistry on the pitch in a sorry system. I think this guy is waiting to break out. I mean, he was really good his last season at Marseille. He's been better than advertised at his short time at Chelsea. But guys, let's remember, he's had four Premier League starts. Four. And it's felt like he's probably been involved way more, but he really hasn't. And he's always good for a clutch goal. He performed really well for Borussia, for Borussia Dortmund and his short stint over there. Scored seven really quick goals. I, I think he's a striker, honestly, waiting to break out. It's just this Alvaro Morata thing is kind of preventing him from doing that, assuming Morata stays. Just feels like Michi's just going to keep getting kind of snubbed and not be the first choice and that people are almost afraid to have him be the starting striker. I mean, look at last season. Michi was on the team, but instead Alvaro Morata gets acquired and immediately Michi's the backup striker. And this year, Morata's got one foot in, one foot out, and Michi, no matter what, is still the backup striker. So I think both strikers will come good under Sari if given the starting role. I assume Morata will get that chance. I personally kind of want Michi to get it, but don't get me wrong. I think if Morata is fully committed, he can be really good this season under Sari. Yeah, yeah, I agree. I think that when I was looking, when I was thinking about Michi Batshuayi, I kind of have sympathy with Antonio Conte. You know, a lot of fans thought, play Michi, he, he, you know, Morata's not scoring and all that kind of stuff. But I don't think Michi Batshuayi was fully ready. When Chelsea signed him, it was a uh, sign of a young player, a guy who'd been at Marseille, who'd been in the Belgian league. Uh, you know, I don't think he was completely ready. But that Dortmund move, you know, a bit more international experience, I think he could be he could be ready to explode uh, in a Chelsea shirt, but you know having Morata there as well, obviously there's more often than not it's going to be one striker, uh, so those two would likely be fighting. Um, there's no shortage of clubs that would sign Michi Batshuayi, but again he's valued really highly by Chelsea. Um, but looking at Morata, interesting case. I couldn't agree anymore with Alex what he said. He needs to be committed. I think that's Maurizio Sarri's message as well. Maurizio Sarri said he wants players here who are committed to Chelsea, who want to be there. They should want to be at Chelsea. Chelsea is still one of the best clubs in the world. Whatever you think about them finishing fifth last season, uh, you know, it's a difficult Premier League, but it should be a club that you're proud to play for. And I think, you know, Morata maybe wants to go back to Italy, but if I was Morata, I'd want to prove myself. I wouldn't want to have a failure under my under my CV, really. And that's what it would be. It would be his first failure. I know... 
he didn't really establish himself at Juventus as the main man or at Real Madrid. But this was supposed to be his big move, his big move where he became the protagonist and he still can be the protagonist. It's not too late. It's not, you know, he's not he's not pulled off embarrassing stats. He had a few embarrassing misses, yes, last season. But chances come, they come again and people will forgive him pretty quickly if he goes on a run of, uh, run of goals, a run of games. Uh, and he has much more experience now. You know, it's another season under his belt, his first season of being the main man. Um, mate, you learn things out of you know bad seasons as well as you do out of good seasons. So, for me, I think that Morata can obviously do it. Um, I just think that you know there's a final step. He's always had something to prove. This was always meant to be his you know his big move to show that he is a top striker. When Chelsea signed him, he wasn't a top striker. There wasn't really a top striker on the market. Lukaku maybe had more Premier League experience, which made him maybe a better fit. But there wasn't a top strike on the market and they got Morata. Okay, so what do you do now? You turn that guy into a top striker. And I think that Sarri would be ready to do that. He would be ready to turn him into a top striker as long as Morata says, I'm in, come on, boss, show me, let me be the top dog. Uh, And, you know, if you have competition with Michi Batshuayi thrown in the mix, could be quite an exciting season for Chelsea. Two strikers who really want to make it at the very top of the game. And, you know, both strikers are unproven, yes, but, um, you know, one of them could could step out of the shadow, become a really top player, maybe another one falls by the wayside. But what great competition for places that would be, you know, Morata versus Batshuayi fighting for the number nine shirt. Um, and I think, you know, that scenario with both players committed could produce a really good season for Chelsea, but... It remains to be seen if, if both of those guys are up for the battle. Um, and that's what the transfer window is all about. So uh, I think we'll find out the full answer to that question by Thursday uh, when the transfer window closes. But, yeah, I think those two guys could be quite exciting this season if they commit. And who who knows if we'll ever see another Drogba and Anelka sort of partnership up top. Um, you know, we also saw Drogba when he was getting older. Uh, that Champions League winning season, of course, coming off the bench, being happy with that role and coming up big in those moments and even benching Torres for a lot of the big games. Um, so we, we never know what kind of situation we might have with these strikers, but l- let's hope that, that Michi and Morata can be that force. And, you know, my only qualm with Michi, to be honest, is how selfish he is with the ball. I don't know if you guys share that, but he almost reminds me of a young Sturridge back when he was at Chelsea, at City. Um it's just frustrating at times. And even watching him for Dortmund, I watched a lot of Dortmund last season where he he would have a brilliant game, but then, you know, there'd be a couple of chances where someone like Royce would be wide open and Michi would go for the impossible shot rather than just squaring it. So for me, that if he can fix that part out of his game, I, I'm fully on board yeah. with you, Alex, that, Tom, that I think he's so promising, man. Yeah, Thomas, that's a good, it's a good point, but I, I, I'm not going to defend him here, but I'm going to try to rationalize his thought process with that is, in fact, he used to be much more unselfish, and I'm not just referencing his nine assists at Marseille his last season there, but I honestly think Michi, when he's gotten the opportunities to play for Chelsea and then for Dortmund, has been kind of trying to just score in terms of he needs to make his mark, and I think he knows that strikers are judged off of goals overall, and it, given every op- since he wasn't given so many opportunities to really make his mark, he was so desperate to score and he does have great confidence in his finishing ability. But I do think that maybe because sorry system does preach moving the ball. If he has any type of feeling that there's some, you know, there's at least some foundation where if he passes the ball, he won't be blamed for passing it. 
Um, and he has a little time to prove himself. I, I do wonder if he'll be a little bit more unselfish, even though his job as a striker is to be selfish. I'm just thinking that they, I totally agree with you. There were some head-scratching times where I was saying, Michi, you had Azard or you had William wide open. Why did you not square it? And I think sometimes he was honestly just trying. He was so desperate to make his mark because he really wanted to come good and prove how good he is. Um, I think that's a very correctable thing for Michi. Um, and one more thing I just want to quickly add to Alvaro Morata, something he needs to work on is he's got to stop flopping. He's, he's got to start. He's got to stop falling to the ground. Um, I think he can. And a lot of people said last year that that might have been he was falling because of an injury. I, I think it's pretty clear he wasn't. Um, and so far in the second game in the preseason, he looked better. I really love the play. He had a lot of strength on to create that Pedro goal. He showed great grit and determination. But you still see anytime somebody touches his ankle or his leg, his instinct is to fall. And that we have Azard for drawing fouls. We don't need the striker doing that. I'm not going to call him names or really call him a flopper for doing that. It's just he's got to switch that mentality. I do think being in a Maurizio Sarri system will help with that. Yet still, when the ball is at his feet, his instinct is clearly to fall over. And uh, he, that's something he definitely does need to correct. Yeah, and I've actually, on, on that Morata point, I've seen some people compare him to Drogba as well in the sense that, you know, a lot of people always said that Drogba went down too easily. The difference is Drogba knew when to go down and when to, you know, when to not yeah. go down. And I think that's, yeah. that's the issue we have with Morata is he's soft. I know you don't want to call him any names. I'll call, I'll call him soft. The man needs to toughen up a little bit. And he's not, he's not weak. That's the weird part. He's not weak. He's maybe not, you know, he's not the bulkiest guy, but... He shouldn't be falling over the way he is. Yeah, Yeah, so he he shouldn't be falling over like that. And I think, like you said, that's correctable. Michi's issues are correctable as well. Um, So we could potentially have a, you know, even though we haven't brought in a striker, I would have loved for us to bring in a striker. Uh, I know, Nazar, you were at the intergame. I would have, a man I've always praised a lot is Lotaro Martinez. Being from South America, I've watched a lot of him play. And I've always said, this man is the next great striker coming out of South America. I think Inter did great business. I think it would have been great for Chelsea. But... You know, with the two we have, and even Tammy and Giroud, I guess, still there as well, there's potential there if it works out. So we could have those goals. It's not all bad. Um, and now just yeah, uh, just a couple I more things. Yeah, well. go ahead. So I just wanted to add as well. We, we were talking earlier about a player who could leave, um, and I think that a striker could leave as well. Um, you know, I, I'm not talking about Morata. I don't think it's likely that he'll leave unless Chelsea get a major acquisition. Um, and also, Morata's very expensive as well. But, you know, Giroud, I think he could be the loser in the scenario. I think either it'll be Michi Batshuayi goes on loan or, or Giroud gets sold um, this summer because, you know, there's all, two strikers seems like a lot anyway um, with the with the sort of, you know, playing one up front. So I think that it, there's not really space for three strikers in the squad, uh, especially not, you know, three senior strikers. How do you keep all of them happy? Um, and Giroud, can he play the Sari ball? Uh, does Sari really need a big man to throw up top? Uh, you know, I think that Giroud was a very much a Conte player, and I think he could be one of the losers of the managerial switch. It's always going to happen, um, and I thought Giroud really did well under Antonio Conte. Uh, really did his job well, brought the best out of Hazard. But I think that I think that there's a different plan in place for Sari, and um, I don't know. I, I, I've got a, I've got a sneaking suspicion that rather than being Michi, he might be the one who loses out. So. Yeah, it's interesting times for sure. Yeah, and uh, and on the Giroud note, I have seen some reports saying he's linked to Atletico, either in a loan option, loan to buy option, loan straight up transfer. So 
we might be seeing that. I think that would be a great signing. He's a good player to have, I think. Uh, definitely an interesting signing for us. And better than had we gone and gotten Peter Crouch, uh, like some like some people had suggested earlier in the year. Um, but moving on to a couple, a couple last points, guys. Uh, we'll get to predictions right after that. Um, Kellen Hudson-Odoi, uh, of course, uh, arguably one of the most talented players we've seen at Chelsea uh, come through the ranks. Uh, Nazar, I know you just posted an article on Go, actually, about, about Odoi. Um, Talk to us about him. You know what kind of player you think he is right now in terms of a, you know how good he is, how good he can be, and at the end of the day, whether we should keep him this season, loan him out, and assuming we keep him, can he maybe even get a starting spot on the right wing? You know, could he work out there? Uh, just curious to hear your thoughts on that. I feel like Hudson Odoi's talent is screaming out. It's screaming out from the academy. It's, you know, stats in the academy, winning the under seventeen. World Cup, playing under Antonio Conte. Conte, a defensive manager, turned to him when they were down against Bournemouth, and uh, and he turned to him again in a, in another game. I can't remember which one, but uh, yeah, it's amazing what he's achieved at such a young age. Still only 17 years old, and I don't think he could have done much more. Obviously, Chelsea's academy batters everyone. They destroyed Arsenal in the FA Youth Cup final to win their fifth in a row, uh, matching the initial record that Man United set when the competition first started 50 years ago. Uh, just He's just almost the culmination of the, a great academy at work, an academy that does everything right. Um, but English football, not just Chelsea, has this problem of integrating young players, taking them into first teams. It's not just Chelsea's problem. We're seeing now more and more want to go abroad to experience, you know, real football, real competitive football at a high level. Um, Chelsea lost uh, Panzo to Monaco recently, uh, and he was very highly rated. So, um, to me, I think that I think he's ready to go in the squad at least to be a substitute. Um, I think that you know you'd want Hazard to play obviously on one wing, and there's going to be two wingers. So, could he be that other winger? I don't know if him and Hazard's a good mix. I think maybe it's either him or Hazard. He can be Hazard's understudy play in the Europa League, play in you know, the Cups, um, and then keep Eden Hazard for, for the Premier League. Um, that, that's what I'd like to see. That's the way I think it should go. Um, I think he's ready. And uh, I think that that's what he wants as well. He wants to be uh, considered a first-team player. Um, and you, know, you might think that's a bit rich from a 17-year-old, but in my opinion, this guy really is special. He's playing against the Champions League team uh, this weekend, and he really gave them a hard time. Um, for me, I, I can't really speak highly enough of him. Um, of course, he's got a lot more to improve upon. There's a lot more to do in his career. But, you know, being Eden Hazard's understudy, uh, and I, that, I think that would really help him, benefit him. And, you know, even if he just got, you know, 15, 20 games, maybe that's more value than getting 30 in the championship. Uh, and that's even if he gets a championship loan move because 17 is a very young age to go into the championship still. Uh, and maybe it's better he sticks around at Chelsea. Um, but I think that, you know, the noise is that Gianfranco Zola wants to keep him. Uh, Maurizio Sarri also spoke about him publicly recently and uh, he knows all about his talent. So for me, I think he's he's destined for a first-team spot. I just hope he gets the chances and I, I hope the pressure of being Chelsea manager for Sarri doesn't stop him risking throwing him on a few times. And even if he has an odd bad game here and there, I'd like to see him play. I'd like to see him play with Chelsea. I don't know what you guys think. Alex? Yeah. Wow. Um, I think I love Callum Hudson-Odoi more than I love myself. 
I really do. <laughs> um, you know, this kid is, he's the real, real deal. I did a video the other day. I totally understand Chelsea fans that are trying to not get their hopes up because of how maybe some Chelsea youth players have gone in the past. They're hyped, they're hyped, they're hyped, and then they disappear. But I really think it's important you isolate the situation. I think he would be hyped up at any club, at any club. The two things I really value in grading a player are two drastically different things. One is the eye test. How do they look when you just watch them? You don't need to be a scout, but what type of feeling do you get when you watch this player? Is there something special to that player? And the second one would be the statistical test, which is quite the opposite. What type of stats do they put up? Are, are they productive? Callum Hudson-Odoi at Youth Ranks, Nizar, you wrote it in your great article about him, has been very productive statistically. And we all know, we all know, you could be brand new to the sport. When he gets the ball, you get to the edge of your seat. You absolutely do. He could do something jaw-dropping every time he's on the ball. And for a 17-year-old, sure, he's raw, and I put that in quotes, but not really. He's very technically sound. I love that when he makes a mistake, he immediately tries to make up for it. I love how he's pressing so far in Sarri's system. I mean, he's frightening when he presses. The game against Inter, I, I don't remember who it was, but uh, I think it was the Inter right back had the ball, or maybe it was the center back, and Hudson Adoy just started pressing, and the Inter player just passed it two feet because he panicked. I mean, I love the other aspects to Hudson Adoy's game besides his obviously incredible attacking talent. And he just looks supremely confident. I, I think, you know, I said in the video as well that I did the other day, all, if you ever hear about a youth pro prospect, it's because they have talent. But if the youth prospect ever makes it and stays, it's because they had something else. It's because they had an upper echelon mentality. It's because they weren't phased by the stage they were on. And Callum Hudson-Odoi seems not to be phased by the stage he is on. And once again, I learned something from Nizar in your article I think you wrote about at the very end how he has some footballing blood in his family. So maybe that's another reason why he's a little bit like, yeah, I know what I'm doing. And he's not too shocked by all the praise he's getting. And I just think the sky is the limit for the kid. I agree with Nizar right now. He should probably start off as the backup left winger behind Eden Hazard, maybe start in cup games, hopefully Europa League games. I do think he's good enough where he could play right wing. I think his weak foot has really improved. He's just played a lot more left wing. So it's really right now, I understand why Sari is obviously using him at left wing, especially without Eden Hazard there. Maybe in the future, they could play together. I, I do think the door is open for that because we know how damn good Eden Hazard is when the game starts. He, he often drifts to the right side. But yeah, I, I think... I think the experience, if he got left-wing starts in cup games and Europa League games for Chelsea Football Club, that experience is invaluable and can't be compared to championship starts or Bundesliga starts or anything of that nature. I think he's in a great situation, and I have the utmost confidence that he's going to take advantage of this situation. Yeah, and I, you know, at least the way I look at it is, I remember when Mbappe, you know, first came up the ranks in Monaco and really came onto the scene, it was, you know, halfway through the season, ended up having that magical season where they made it to the semifinals of the Champions League. Um, I think he ended up with, like, some, like, 26 goals and God knows how many assists. And we were seeing back then on EIF, we said, you know, this guy is not only going to be one of the best players in the world, he's already one of the best strikers in the world. And a lot of people immediately said, oh, you know, he's only 18. No, you know, he, he's not old enough. I'm like, for the way I look at it, if you're 
good enough, you're old enough. You know, it's it's kind of corny, but it's just how it is. And a lot of people think that some of these players are not good enough um, because they're too young. And I think with Adoy, I'm not saying he's going to be as good as Mbappe is, even though he's obviously brilliant. Um, he's he's more than good enough to be a squad player for us and, and get some chances here, like both of you guys said. And, you know, I think a, there's no better example. And again, this is before anyone jumps out and says I'm comparing him to Messi. But a great example is Messi when he first started at Barca. You know, Pep made the brave decision to get rid of, of Ronaldinho and, and give a, I think he was 17, 18-year-old Messi a chance in the team. And look how that turned out. So obviously, I'm not saying get rid of Hazard by any means. I'm not... I'm talking about the right wing here, but, you know, I definitely think we should be brave here with Adoy because he's one of those talents that, you know, you don't get along very often. So we should do our best to really get him as much playing time as he can, not loan him out and really get him integrated with the team. And like you said, Alex, maybe in the future, see him playing alongside Eden Hazard uh, because they, they could potentially work together. Um, so just just before we wrap up, guys, um, I, I want to hear, I guess I'll start with you, Nazar. Um, a, if we could make one signing before the window closed, who would it be for you? Who would be your dream signing? And B, what's your prediction for the upcoming season? How are we going to do in Europa League? How are we going to do in the league and the Cubs? And how do you think we'll finish? And then, Alex, you can just jump in right after. Oh, a big signing. That's a, that's, a, that's a difficult one. Well, with the names Chelsea have been linked with, I mean, I'm, I'm not so excited, but obviously Chelsea... And Sari, you know, they know what they know what kind of players they're going for. You know, it seems Sari's publicly said he wants central midfielder. Vecino, you know, he seems to be the the most likely one after Golovin uh, went to Monaco. Um, I'm not that excited about Vecino. You know, ideally, you know, for me, I don't think he'd be the number one option. Uh, maybe he's the most realistic option. You know, um, I, I never know what to get in these situations because, you know, realistically, you could you could put it down a name like. Tony Cruz. If you could pick anyone in the world, you pick you pick out the very best midfielder you can find. I think Chelsea want a dynamic midfielder. Um, you know, I don't know if there's an obvious option. Somebody, you know, somebody like a Frank Lampard would be ideal. That's the sort of player they need in that midfield. I think Ross Barkley's trying to position himself to be that guy, um, and I think that he might be as good a option as any of the names that are being linked now. Uh, there's also the centre-back uh, option and goalkeeper option. I think the goalkeeper is the biggest issue and the one that needs to be sorted out. If any signing I could dream of for Chelsea, I'd probably go with Oblak because I think he's a superstar. You know, you've seen Liverpool have signed uh, Alisson, who's also a superstar goalkeeper. And the Premier League is full of superstar goalkeepers. Uh, the only other one I can think of who could be signed by Chelsea, albeit at an unbelievably high fee, is Oblak with his 100 million release clause. You know, if Chelsea have that money, I'd probably just sink it right now. Um, you know, be like Liverpool and just sign a marquee player. Just be like, look, uh, there's lots of average players on the market. Maybe just say, there's one player we want. We'll pay over the odds for him, but at least we know we've got a world-class player. And I think that, you know, if it was me, I'd probably just sink all my transfer budget into Woblak and then, and then it'd be a case of, you know, use the players you've already got for the rest of the positions, and then at least you know you've got a world-class goalkeeper. That's the way I'd go about the transfer transfer window if I was in charge. Um, but yeah, you were asking predictions as well for the season. Yeah, just just right. what do you think? What do you think? How do you think we're going to fare in the league and and also in the cup competitions? Well, I think I think Chelsea is so strong. I was, you know, I've been watching these preseason games, and I've been thinking, you know, there's still some expensive players on the bench. There's still quite a lot of depth. I think that 
Conte did a lot of good work for the squad. I think he brought the average age down. I think the the squad isn't as weak as you might think. I don't think Chelsea fans should be as pessimistic as they maybe are because there's been not so many signings. So I think Chelsea will do pretty well. I think they'll do better than Man United. I think they'll do better than Arsenal. Um, I just I'm just a bit worried about Man City. Uh, again, I think Man City are obviously an unbelievable team. Um, I think they are capable of achieving whatever they want, even though they themselves haven't signed that many players, haven't done that much transfer business, but they're already looking fantastic um, with their squad. So they're, they're the favourites of the Premier League for me. Uh, Liverpool are right up there. I think everyone knows their transfer business, what they've done has been excellent. Um, you'd be silly not to be able to recognise that. Um, so they're they're second favourites, and then I put Chelsea third favourites. I put them behind those two clubs for absolute sure. Um, and also, I think Sari might take a little bit longer to you know imprint his ideology in Chelsea. And I think you know a top four finish would be a decent achievement for Chelsea. You know, considering they didn't finish in the top four last season, um, and I think that Sari can deliver that. Uh, in the cups, anything can happen. Of course, uh, I'd like to see Chelsea go far in the Europa League. Um, I think they'll be one of the favourites. We've seen English teams really emerge in the Europa League uh, as a real force because English football has changed a lot. It's the big six now. And the Europa League, there's no shame in being in the Europa League if you're an English team. There's always going to be two great English teams in the Europa League. And those teams are really, really taking the competition by storm. We saw Arsenal last season. They did really well. They did the typical Arsenal thing of bottling it. Um, but Chelsea's players are more experienced. I think they could really squeeze past teams like Atletico Madrid in the later rounds. Uh, and in the earlier rounds, it's a case of, you know, they should be turned up and beating anyone, really. Um, so I think that I think that Chelsea can go far in that competition. Um, and winning it is a great achievement. It's a great achievement. And it's a better competition than it used to be. Uh, Man United won it two years ago, of course. And it gets you into the Champions League as well. It takes a little bit of pressure off. Um, so I think Chelsea should go to win that competition and I think they will go to win that competition and I think their squad is big enough to win that competition um, and then with the FA Cup uh, you know the League Cup it's impossible to predict uh, I think the League Cup might be difficult just because Chelsea will still be trying to you know imprint that Sarri ideology I think that will come too soon for them in the season especially for the reserve players that will come into that competition uh, and Sarri will use reserve players in that competition uh, if you know anything about Sarri you know he doesn't like to change his lineup a lot, and if he does, it will be in the cups. So um, I think that they won't win the League Cup. Uh, the FA Cup, they might be up to speed by January. They might be able to contend for that. So I think that that's how it's going to go for Chelsea. I think top four finish, they'll be stronger in the FA Cup than League Cup, and they're going to be a massive contender for the Europa League. They should be one of the favourites, in fact. Uh, what do you think, Alex? Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, I definitely echo that. Now, Thomas, I'm going to go in the order you asked for. Uh, does my ideal acquisition have to be realistic? Um, I mean, your choice. Ideally, right. yeah, but let's <laughs> let's see who you'd want. Um, well, I mean, I, I haven't given up my dream for Alexandro, even though I know that hasn't even been a rumor <laughs> this summer. I just think that the way Sarri plays with his left back, the way he likes to kind of build up the pitch, I think Alexandro's the dream, and I know – People in Italy still think there's a chance Alexandro leaves. I just know it's not these days to a Chelsea. It's either to a Manchester United or a PSG. And obviously Emerson and Alonso are the left backs now. Uh, that's just still one, though, that I'll never give up, give up on until 
he's on a new team or until he literally says I'm not leaving. Um, but my, <laughs> my main acquisition that I want that uh, hasn't been rumored once, but it's something that I think if Chelsea don't do it, I think they need to at least get in the habit of doing is all summer. Chelsea have been rumored for someone like Daniel Rugani from Juventus and even Caldara as of late who are good players and, and have the potential to be maybe great, maybe great. But even though I, I don't think Rugani is that great. Now, I, I wonder why they were never even rumored for Ajax's young center back, Matthias De Ligt. I, I have no idea because as the <laughs> summer started, De Ligt, who in my opinion, he's 18 years old and he's already one of the most talented center backs in the world. And I know that sounds like a stretch because he plays in the area of VC, but I really do think he's that good. He's already captain for them, which is ridiculous. In my opinion, you try and get a player like that now instead of when he's 19, 20, when his price is out of Chelsea's price range. So, you know, I, I never understood it. Like, why go after some, except for the Empoli connection with Rugani and sorry, why go after someone like that when you could get someone who's a passing center back who already has a, a high level of experience? Um, you know, I think he, it was in the Europa League against Manchester United. Um, I love Matthias De Ligt. I think he's really damn good. And I think if you don't know his name now, you'll know it in a couple of years and you'll be like, damn it, why were Chelsea never in for him? Uh, but yeah, getting to the standings, I really, this is going to be boring, but I agree with Nizar pretty much full, full fold. Uh, top four finish. And if I have to pick a spot, I think it's third. I think this is absolutely City's competition to lose. I think Liverpool, if they're not second, then that's a huge disappointment on their part, considering I love their acquisition of Naby Keita, especially in Jurgen Klopp's system. Um, I do think Europa League is something Maurizio Sarri will treat way different this year. Last year, it was just different. Uh, they were so focused on winning the Scudetto that they didn't want to really take any of their European competitions seriously. It started off as the Champions League. They didn't do great in it, almost on purpose. And then once they're in the Europa League, it was the same thing. They just had to put all their eggs in one basket. But I think this year, uh, it'll just be different. You know, I think he's going to treat the Europa League seriously, um, but make slight changes because of the few days in between that and the weekend. So I do, ex I, I expect them to at least be one of the last four teams in the Europa League. Uh, great point by Nizar about kind of the League Cup maybe being a little too early for them to fully be moving and grooving and have that style implemented. But yeah, I think the FA Cup is absolutely, I'm going to say the FA Cup I've used almost the same as Europa in terms of if they're not one of the last four teams. I think that's a little disappointing. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think this, the, the biggest thing for me this year with Chelsea is to have a good season. If you can get a trophy out of it, that's phenomenal. But I think this needs to be a progressive season where Sari shows Chelsea fans, the Chelsea organization, the Chelsea, uh, you know, uh, higher staff that this type of football can produce great results. And this type of football is another way to go. And the league is trending this way. So I absolutely think that the most important part is a year from now, we think of Conte's style and Mourinho's style as ancient. And that's my main goal. And Alex, I love I love that he brought up Delict because my co-host Mark is a diehard Ajax fan. He was actually at that uh, Manchester United Europa League final, yeah. um, and he's been talking about Delict and Frankie De Jong forever yeah. now, and saying, you know, these two guys are the kinds of players who you get and you have in your team for the next thirteen, fourteen years, and yep. uh, they're going to be legends. To you know, to not sound too hyperbolic, but it's it, it seems to be the case of these two guys. It's like you said, I don't know why some of these teams don't go for them. Um, I was. 
I was saying the same thing actually about Artur, who recently signed for Barcelona. Yeah. Uh, I watched a lot of him here in Brazil. And after a few starts, I remember texting Mark and I said, this guy's the next great Brazilian midfielder. For some reason, nobody cared about him except for Barcelona came in and now one game into preseason or two games in and everyone's already saying, oh, Artur is amazing. I'm like, whoa, yeah, where, where have you been for the past Right. year and a half you know these guys just because they play in a smaller league does not mean they're not good enough sure to I make mean, I, the step I, up i think you can make the argument that matthias de Ligt is more talented than any chelsea center back I th- that sounds yeah. crazy that he's not as seasoned he's not as experienced but i, I think he's flat out better than any chelsea center back i agree my, and i mean if you problem, no go ahead right no, my only problem with it is that chelsea need a long-term manager before they could consider signing teenagers you know i think that I think that they're destined to have maybe have a bad season, bad few games, and then people start to turn on them. You know, the whole fan base will turn on them. The manager will be under pressure to drop them, um, and and that that could be the problem with teenagers. I know Delict is amazingly experienced and an unbelievable talent. I couldn't agree with you more. I just think that to sign these players, you need a long-term manager. That's why Klopp can bring teenagers into his lineup more often than maybe another manager. Uh, I think that you know having a I'm not saying a super long-term manager, but a manager who's been in for two, three years, then they can start to say, look, okay, I feel at home at Chelsea. I'm happy at Chelsea still. Now let's let's get some let's get some top-class teenagers who are going to be world-class players. Uh, and Delict is obviously what is obviously going to be one of the best centre-backs in the world. But his next move is a big move, and he has to be careful which club he picks. And if Chelsea are fighting against somebody with a long-term manager, will Delict pick Chelsea? where his situation can change, where he might end up on loan. Uh, that, that's always the barrier for Chelsea with these kind of moves. So I think that's why they go for more experienced players. And even players like Michi Bakshawani, who are 22 when they join, they're still seen as a little bit inexperienced to like play regularly for Chelsea. And I think that Chelsea needs to address that by having a long-term manager. Yeah, no, yeah, I, 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 it's a good point. And also, I mean, definitely the amount of years they've been at the club, Nizar, is a great point. But honestly, even if Maurizio Sarri was appointed a little earlier, that might have made a difference. I'm not saying they would have went for a Matthias De Ligt if Sarri was appointed way back in the beginning of June or whatever. But it's certainly unrealistic to expect that someone like that's going to be appointed when they literally don't know who their manager is. It's just, you know, it's frustrating that they didn't act more swiftly. And also, maybe on the flip, you know, I'll, I'll swallow not getting Matthias De Ligt if maybe next year Trevor Chalaba gets a chance or Reese James gets a chance. You know, I'll be a little bit of a hypocrite if I call for all of these awesome young signings elsewhere. But I'm, you know, I'm one of the people who barks and shouts and prays for youth to be included for then me to, you know, block the path of the youth themselves. And I think really highly of Reese James. I think really highly of Trevor Chalaba. I'm going to be watching a lot of championship championship football this year. I feel really bad for my girlfriend and anybody who plans on hanging out with me because this the weekends are just going to be full of Chelsea and then championship football. Yeah, and I, I mean, I I'm with I agree with both of you here, and I think that in an ideal world, I had you know if we were able to get the licked, I think it's unlikely, but imagine a back line of the licked and Christensen. Maybe Alexandra on the left and Espelicueta <laughs> on the right. I mean, man, I'm just getting ahead of myself here. But that Don't would do be, that to me. Don't do uh, that to uh, me. I didn't even want to think about it, man. But, you know, I guess for me to wrap it up here with my predictions and my ideal signing, I'd say, you know, we're talking about Ajax here. Someone I personally love to see would be Hakim Ziyech. I think he's realistic. I think he's a guy who, you know, he he's not 
20 anymore. He's 25. So still, you know, you could say in the prime of his career, one of the best chance creators in Europe. I think off the ball, what he provides with his pressing, uh, we've highlighted it before in our account, is incredible. I think he's one of the best pressers of the football in, in the world. And that's often not appreciated enough. And I think under Sari, they'll work really well. I don't think he'd be extremely expensive. So I think he'd be a good signing. And the other one, you know, funnily enough, is also uh, a slightly older guy who's up, and by older I mean 25, 26, and that's our tourist teammate in Brazil in, uh, for Grêmio, uh, Luan. And I've long said this guy's the best player in South America right now, uh, has been for the past two years. Uh, somehow, no big clubs have come in for him. Liverpool made a bit of an approach last winter, didn't end up signing him. Uh, I think if we were to go for him, he could fit in well. In that Ross Barkley role, assuming Barkley starts, uh, he could play on the right wing. He can. He's even played striker before. The men can play really anywhere, and he's just an absolutely brilliant footballer. I don't think he would cost too much. Um, but I, again, he hasn't been linked. I don't think it's going to happen. But in an ideal world, I think you know I would love to see him or Ziyech. Uh As for my prediction, I'm again. I hate to be hate to sound boring here, but I agree with both of you. I think uh, I think third place looks like it's. Looks like it's ours right now. I don't think we're going to be challenging City or Liverpool in the league, and that's fine. Uh, like you said, Alex, this is a transition year. Top four is a priority here. Establishing a brand of football and identity for this club, that's what matters right now. And I, I think we will do that. And like Nazar said, I think the Europa League, really, we have a great chance. And unless we get really unlucky with the draw and maybe get, maybe if one of the big boys in the Champions League gets knocked out in the group stages and we draw them early, or we get maybe one of the tougher teams in the Europa League and, you know, anything can happen in one of those draws, one of those ties, you know, I think we have a great chance. Like you said, Alex, top, you know, final four in that pick up and final four in the Europa League is what I'd expect and what I'd like to see, um, barring any bad luck. And I think we'll get that. So for me, third place finish and maybe a cup competition win, be it that pick up or the Europa League. And I think that'd be a fantastic season. So definitely... An exciting time to be a Chelsea fan right now. A bit of a weird one, you know, just uh, hopefully, you know, we, we'll see us maybe get a surprising first place uh, finish in the league. We have seen it before where we finish first, go to 10th place, have a, you know, have a good season, then have a bad season. So, you know, maybe maybe we'll keep that cycle up. We never know as Chelsea fans. But, you know, that, that's all we have time for today. Nazar, always a pleasure to have you on, man. Thanks again for coming on. And Alex, great to have you on for the first time. And hopefully, you know, many more to come. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed Appreciate it. Really enjoyed it. Thanks, guys. Always a pleasure. And for everyone listening, make sure to follow us on Twitter at EIF Soccer. Like us on Facebook, Everything's Football. As well as follow us on SoundCloud and iTunes, EIF Soccer. Thank you very much and have a good day. I think we should get a room yourself and your shoes ain't off the shelves. You straight out of magazine, feel things I ain't ever felt.